Alabama, Michigan, Georgia, and Cincinnati are the four playoff teams. Brent Venables leaves Clemson to become Oklahoma's new head coach. And the Army-Navy game this weekend wraps up the college football regular season. It's all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. After further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. Now they got personal foul on number 99 of the defense. After he tackled the quarterback, he's giving them business down there. That's a 15-yard penalty. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and we know. Who is in the college football playoff final rankings released yesterday evening and, well, I guess yesterday at noon, right? The rankings actually came out at noon, but the the bowl show that ESPN did where they previewed every matchup, that ran well into the evening. But regardless, we know who's in the college football playoff. Alabama won, Michigan at two, Georgia at three, and Cincinnati, the Bearcats, finally getting some respect and making the college football playoff. Now, I understand, you know, the Bearcats were well-positioned. If they won their American Conference Championship game right, they were going to get in over get in over Notre Dame. I mean, they already had the head-to-head win over the Fighting Irish. There really wasn't a lot of intrigue with regards to Cincinnati. It was more what happens if... Oklahoma State wins, you know, or, or Alabama wins. I mean, though, and we saw a little bit of chaos, right? We saw a little bit of chaos. Obviously, that Big 12 championship game was just nuts. Oklahoma State trailing to Baylor 21-3 to at one point in that ball game, And, you know, the four interceptions that Spencer Sanders threw. I mean, it was, a, it was an ugly performance for nearly 60 minutes by the Cowboys, but they were literal inches away an outstretched arm towards the pylon on fourth and goal with less than half a minute remaining and that's what kept them from a berth in the college football playoff because again you got to think Oklahoma State at five if they get back-to-back wins over Oklahoma and Baylor two top 10 teams they're going to jump Cincinnati they're going to jump Cincinnati and the Bearcats would have needed Alabama to lose. Again, that's a, that's an important distinction because if Alabama had lost to Georgia, the Bearcats still would have been in. But in the scenario that played out, Oklahoma State loses to Baylor. Uh, the, the Baylor Bears, they didn't really get a lot of love from the committee, right? They finished seventh in the rankings. Kind of expected them to jump Ohio State. So it's surprising that a Power 5 champion, a two-loss Power 5 champion, uh, did not finish higher than a two-loss team that didn't even play in their conference championship. That was that was a little surprising to me. Uh, but Ohio State finished sixth, pretty generous ranking for the Buckeyes. Uh, in fact, Ohio State and well, Ohio State, Old Miss, and Michigan State are the only teams in the top ten that don't have at least eleven wins. Every other team inside the top 10 has 11 wins or more. Cincinnati right now the only school in the country with 13 wins. Uh, so yeah, Ohio State you know got a little bit of a, uh, a break there. Not that it mattered, right? They're six. They're, they're Rose Bowl bound, so it, it doesn't make 
much of a difference for the Buckeyes. Obviously, there was too, too many teams in front of them. They needed all sorts of chaos to happen to even have a chance at the playoff. Again, not playing in a conference championship really does you in. Same can be said for Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish finish fifth. Uh, this one was never really uh, close. Like It never felt like there was a way for Notre Dame to sneak in, mostly because of their loss to Cincinnati. If Cincinnati was not in the picture, if, you know, if, if, if Notre Dame had lost to Cincinnati but the Bearcats had dropped another game along the way, Notre Dame would have been right there in the mix. But because Cincinnati, already a team that wasn't getting a lot of respect, was already on the outs, having to figure out how can we you know, get in, what can we do to get in, what sort of chaos do we need, Notre Dame never really, it never felt like there was a chance. I mean, the Irish were sitting at five. They finished 11-1. and one. Now, certainly, we'll have to see how Notre Dame responds uh, to Brian Kelly's departure, obviously going down and coaching at LSU now, but Fighting Irish improved, really, from that point uh, when they lost to Cincinnati at home. I felt like the Irish sort of, you know, galvanized them, and, and they started playing cleaner football, more consistent football as the season progressed, and they finished a respectable 11-1. and I mean, there's, there's not many teams in the country who even get to double-digit wins, let alone a one-loss regular season, but not enough for the Irish. Again, that lone loss to Cincinnati keeps them out of the playoff. And listen, I think the top four is the top four. You know, honestly, um, I don't have many issues with it. Now, with the way Michigan has played these past two weeks, okay, with their performance against Ohio State in the game and now in the Big Ten Championship, that was an absolute slaughter of Iowa on a huge stage. I mean, yes, we know that the Michigan-Ohio State game in terms of ratings was the highest rated, most watched college football game this season. But the Big Ten Championship is still the Big Ten Championship. And yes, Michigan was expected to win that game, right? They were sort of the, the underdog against Ohio State because it had been so long, because it had been you know so many years since the Wolverines had shown up and played a good football game against the Buckeyes. But that performance in the Big Ten Championship game against Iowa, holding the Hawkeyes to three points. Granted, this is a Hawkeyes team that down the stretch, second half of the season, they've struggled. They have had a lot of issues on offense. Uh, their defense has not been as consistent They've allowed big chunk plays, um, and, and they haven't been as good stopping the run. So Iowa doesn't look, you know, this, this Iowa team that we saw play on Saturday, it didn't look like the same Iowa team we saw back week four, week five. Like we have to accept and, and, and you know, consider that, right, when you look at, at the results of this game. The fact of the matter is, is that no one has played better. No one has played better down the stretch than Michigan. Michigan right now is playing like the best team in the country. And and I'll take full blame for saying I thought Georgia was going to beat Alabama. I really did. I expected the Bulldogs to match Bama's physicality, punch them in the mouth, run the football down Alabama's throat, and control the line of scrimmage. That's not what happened. That is not what happened. Now, Alabama, I think, understood the challenge that they faced. And what did Alabama do? And we're, again, we're going to talk about the playoff matchups and, and how, you know, what does Cincinnati need to do against Alabama, Michigan and Georgia, what's that matchup look like? We will get into all of those 
nitty-gritty details uh, later on in, in future episodes where we actually preview the playoff. But treetop overview here, okay? And we're going back to the SEC championship game between Georgia and Alabama. What did Alabama do? What did Alabama do in the first quarter? They got the ball out in space, right? You saw a lot of screen passes. They're getting the ball out to the perimeter. They're forcing Georgia's defense to to make tackles in space. They are forcing Georgia to play the full width of the field. And that's and, and that's difficult to do for for any defense. For any defense. But you could tell, I mean, Georgia was sort of caught off guard by that. I mean, yes, Alabama had a lot of issues running the football, right? I mean, they, they, they couldn't really run at all the entire night against Georgia. And, and, the, and the most incredible part is that while Alabama could not run the football against Georgia, Georgia's D-line couldn't get penetration, right? They could stop the run, but they couldn't get enough penetration on Bryce Young, the quarterback, to cause errant throws, maybe a sack or two, or even an interception. I mean, Bryce Young did finish with one pick. Or I'm sorry, I'm looking at the I'm looking at a different game here for, for Alabama. But but Bryce Young in this matchup, and I'm pulling up his stats right now. He, yeah, he did not have interception that game. That's why when I saw that, I was like, that that didn't look right. So Young's performance, right? He he was nearly flawless, and he did everything he needed to do. He did everything he needed to do because Alabama's offensive line gave him time to throw the ball to you know, go through his progressions, roll out. Whatever he needed to do, Alabama's O-line delivered. To me, the biggest takeaway from the SEC championship game is that the way you beat Georgia, who up to this point was the most dominant team, the most consistent team, the most physical team in a lot of ways, the way you beat them is you get the ball out in space and you force them to make open field tackles. That's exactly what Alabama did. That was Alabama's game plan coming into that game. They they knew they couldn't win the trenches every single drive. They knew they were going to get shut down if they run up the middle. Now, Alabama still tried, right? They, they still tried to run the ball, but less than 75 yards on the ground, That that I mean, that's not really much of a threat. It's more just to keep the Georgia defense honest. And Georgia's defensive line, again, did a great job stopping the run. Getting pressure on the quarterback, not so great. Not so great. And Bryce Young picked them apart for 421 yards, which I believe, if I recall correctly, is an SEC championship game record. So, you know, credit to Alabama, credit to the game plan that they took to the Bulldogs. That said, that said, you look at Georgia. Okay, you look at Georgia now, who's obviously in the playoff. They're still at three. They're matching up against Michigan. As the weeks have gone on, I have felt like Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams in the country. Now, I, I, I think it's Michigan. I think Michigan right now is the best team in the country, and I think Alabama is looking like a solid second because they beat Georgia, right? So, to me, I think Georgia has got to be really worried. I think they've got to be really worried. You you know the Bulldogs wanted to play Cincinnati. If you know if they got them in in the playoff, the, the the Bulldogs pick, anybody's pick would be the Bearcats just because 
Cincinnati can't match up with these teams physically. Okay, they can't match up with Alabama. They can't match up with Michigan. They can't match up with Georgia. Not in the trenches. Not for a full 60 minutes. Okay, those those other teams are going to swallow Cincinnati if Cincinnati tries to ground and pound the football. It's not going to work. Michigan, right now, is the most physical team, I think, in the country. And the way they have shut down their previous two opponents. Alabama played great from a physical standpoint against Georgia. Georgia still scored 24 points. Georgia still scored 24 points. Okay, Iowa scored three. <laughs> Michigan allowed three points by the Hawkeyes. Now, Cincinnati, right? Let's talk about the Bearcats a little bit. So what does Cincinnati need to do when they play Alabama? The same thing Alabama did to Georgia. Get the ball out in space. Make guys, you know, force Alabama to make open field tackles. Force Alabama to make plays in space. Ultimately, that's going to lead to some Cincinnati players making plays. And it's going to keep Alabama stretched thin. It's going to you know, take away safety blitzes and, and other elements of the Alabama defense. And so I think that has got to be what Cincinnati's looking at. Because Cincinnati understands, just like almost anybody would, matching Alabama's physicality in the trenches toe-to-toe for 60 minutes is, is almost impossible. In fact, there's probably only been four or five teams since Nick Saban has been at Alabama that could and did match Alabama physically in the trenches for a full 60 minutes. It's extremely hard to do. And again, credit to Alabama, okay? Alabama team that was you know, down and out, right? We were talking about them not making the playoff. Things had not looked good for Alabama, and I, I certainly was not impressed I mean, this past few weeks, their their conference play, the results there have not been impressive. They don't have a marquee non-conference win. Now, yeah, they're the SEC champs. They're in the playoff, right? So, again, Alabama fans, that's all they're going to talk about. But, I, again, you know, for, for the Crimson Tide to accomplish what they accomplished against Georgia, I think speaks to Nick Saban understanding the situation, motivating his guys, they, they realizing, okay, this is our opportunity because if we don't win this game, we're not making the playoffs. So it was a, a last-ditch effort, if you will, for Alabama. Georgia, on the other hand, they already knew. They, the Bulldogs were a lock. They were going to make the playoff regardless of what happened on Saturday in the SEC championship game. Now, does that really play a factor in, in how teams mentally show up to that game? Possibly. Possibly. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's... The entire reason, I'm not saying that Georgia just gave up and just decided, nah, we're, 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 we're going to make the playoff no matter what. So it really doesn't matter, guys. Like, I, I'm not suggesting that at all. But at the same time, this is college football, and emotions play a much larger role in the outcomes of these games as opposed to professional football. And Alabama probably understood the situation that, that was being pre- presented to them, and they understood that. Not only were they, you know, forced into a corner where they had to beat Georgia, but there were, a lot of people weren't picking them. A lot of people weren't picking them. They weren't favored in the game. Uh, several, you know, pundits were, were, were picking the Bulldogs, myself included. I mean, I, I really felt like Georgia could go up against Alabama in the trenches for a full 60 minutes. They had done it all season long. There have been two teams, though, Two teams Georgia's played this year that are 
elite in terms of physicality. Clemson and Alabama, those are the two. If you want to talk about elite. Now, some of you might be saying, well, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute now. Clemson scored three points, okay? And I was at the game, right? I saw the game. I watched the game too. Georgia scored three points. It was a pick six, okay? Georgia's defense made plays. That's how they beat Clemson. Georgia's offense scored three points. Clemson's offense scored three points. That was the beginning of the season. Clemson's offense was also a bit of a train wreck. But defensively, Clemson matched Georgia's physicality. Hello? They kept them out of the end zone. There's your proof. There's your proof. So if you want to look at the two games Georgia's played this year against you know, similar caliber teams in terms of physicality and being able to match up in the trenches, it's Clemson and Alabama. And both games, Georgia's offense has struggled. So like when you when you look at these playoff teams, right? When you're, when you're looking at the playoff teams, Georgia doesn't have to deal with Alabama right now. But who's more physical? Between the other two, Michigan or Cincinnati? I, I think we all know the answer. It's the team that has fostered the reputation this year of being a ground and pound, I'm going to shove this down your throat, football team. That's the Michigan Wolverines. The Michigan Wolverines, I think, right now are playing inspired. And... <laughs> You know, when that's your opponent, it's a dangerous thing. When it's on your side, you're like, this is great. This is great. We're, we're coasting on our momentum. This is, you know, a Cinderella-type season. But, you know, the fact is is that I think Georgia, they, they have to sort of reassess and reevaluate and say, okay, listen, you know, what, what do we have in common here between Clemson and Alabama and these performances? What can we do to fix that? Because they got time. They got, they got time. They got three weeks. Three weeks to fix these problems. Three weeks to get healthy, three weeks to game plan, and three weeks to, you know, develop a scheme that allows them to compete against the Michigan Wolverines. I think Michigan right now, again, they're playing like the best team in the country. And Michigan should have been one. Let's be honest. Michigan should have been one, okay? Michigan came into the weekend ranked two. They beat Iowa 42-3. to a ranked Iowa team, an Iowa team that was top 15, but because Alabama beat the number one team in the country, and their name is Alabama, we had to put Alabama at one. Now, I think the real reason for that decision, jokes aside, the real reason that Alabama's won is so that we don't have a rematch of the in a semifinal, right? We don't have an Alabama-Georgia rematch in the semifinal. No one wants to see that. No one wants to see that. Maybe, you know, maybe there's some SEC fanboys somewhere, but but most people, well, actually, probably not, right? Because the SEC fanboys want those two teams to be separated in the semifinals so that potentially we could have an all-ACC national championship. That would be the pipe dream. But I digress. That's the reason we saw Alabama move to one, Michigan stay at two. Was that the right decision? I don't really, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not really, uh, I don't have a strong opinion either way. Personally, I think Michigan should be number one. I think Michigan should be number one. I think they've proven that they should be number one. And honestly, if, if it was my top four, I'd have Michigan. What it, what it should be is Michigan, Alabama, 
Cincinnati, and Georgia. That's the top four. And you still get the same matchups. If the committee had balls, that's what it would be. Because Cincinnati is undefeated. They should be ranked above Georgia, who just lost a game. Sorry, not sorry. And you know what? You still get the same matchups. You still get Michigan playing Georgia, and you still get Alabama playing Cincinnati. The only difference is, oh, the SEC heart palpitations. There's not an SEC team ranked number one. So, you know, the rankings here, I, I don't... I think these are the right matchups, personally, um, because, again, even in my rankings, that's where the, the chips fall. I just have them in, in a different packing order. Uh, I do think there will be interesting semifinal games. I really do. I think Alabama, you know, will will have to take Cincinnati seriously. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter that aren't, but you know that Nick Saban understands that Luke Fickle is a great coach, Cincinnati is a good program, Desmond Ritter is a dynamic playmaker, and the Bearcats are the only undefeated team in college football. Let me repeat that. The Bearcats of Cincinnati are the only undefeated team in all of college football. There's no one else. No one else. So, again, this is a, this is a, you know, a great college football playoff. I think these four teams deserve it. Um, we would have had a little bit more of a controversy, right? Because if Oklahoma State had beaten Baylor, they would be in the playoff, and Cincinnati obviously would be five, and they'd be like, what what, what in the world, guys? And I, I sort of, I mean, it would be really hard. It would be really hard to leave Alabama out. You probably couldn't do it. You probably couldn't do it. So you would have to, you'd have to put Cincinnati at five, um, but that didn't happen, and I'm super glad that the Bearcats got a shot. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm really excited for Cincinnati because you could see what it meant to them. And, and every program was like this when they first made the playoff. Like Clemson, right? They, they threw a pizza party. I was there. I was at the pizza party. And, had you know, a lot of schools, they do watch parties. They have all sorts of things. Uh, but... I, I, just seeing the reaction from fans and players and the coach, Luke Fickle, of, you know, uh, when the rankings were released in Cincinnati, I, I think that's one of the best things we've seen out of college football this year. Because you can tell that for those guys, it, it just means so much, right? Alabama, you know, they're like, all right, we, we're going to do this again, right? We're, we're back. We're doing it again. Now, Michigan's never made the playoff before, and Georgia, this is only their second appearance. Their last appearance was in 2017. So Alabama is the only veteran. We'll call them a veteran here, right? They've made uh, seven, I think seven of eight playoffs. Seven of eight playoffs, which is now more than Clemson, because Alabama and Clemson were both tied for six apiece. Clemson missed the first playoff, and Alabama missed... In was it 20, 2019, I want to say? Yeah, that was the year LSU beat them. So I think it would have been 2019. Um, but, but either way, right? I mean, you got three relatively new teams in the playoffs. So it's nice to see some fresh blood. It's nice to see teams getting excited, you know, fans getting excited for the playoff. I hope these lo- these semifinal games are not lopsided. Uh, we certainly could see some lopsided games. 
I've got to think that there's a higher chance of Alabama and Cincinnati's game being lopsided than Michigan and Georgia, but you never know. I mean, it, we haven't had a lot of luck. We really haven't in the in the playoff the last three years, right? I mean, Alabama last year, dominant team. LSU before them, dominant team. Clemson before them, dominant team. Last interesting college football playoff was 2017 when Alabama and Georgia faced off in the national championship, first national championship to go to overtime, and Alabama ended up ultimately prevailing. So, fingers crossed, really. Fingers crossed that we have an exciting playoff and the games are close. Uh, I think the committee got the right four teams in, and, you know, we'll have to see. We will have to see how a group of five team like Cincinnati performs on that stage. They came very close last year to beating Georgia in the Peach Bowl. They really did. They, they put a, um, an impressive performance together and made a few too many mistakes in the fourth quarter, but I, I think this will be a good opportunity for them to showcase you know, what, what they can do on a national stage uh, because obviously they're moving to the, the Big 12 right in a few years once Oklahoma and Texas leave. So they'll, they'll be, they'll, you know, their program and their presence will only increase as time you know, progresses, but I think this will be an awesome chance for all group of five teams to sort of tune in and see what you know, the first group of five team in the playoff can do against arguably the most dominant team in the playoff era. I mean, if you're if you want to be the best or be considered one of the best, you got to beat the best, right? You got to beat the best, and that's Alabama. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see how the Bearcats do, and then obviously Michigan. I think they, sh- you know, they're, they're looking really hot, and they should play well against Georgia. Georgia, they might have some issues figuring some stuff out. We'll have to see uh, how the dogs do. It would be a very, very big bummer. Uh, for Georgia to run the table in the regular season and then finish with two losses in postseason play. But we'll have the playoff episode a little bit later. Uh, We're going to do a full bowl preview show as well, but these were just initial thoughts, reactions to the playoff rankings and who's in. Um, You know, again, I think we got some great games, some great matchups, and I'm excited to dive into those further in a later show. Okay, let's take a break. We're going to come back and talk some big head coaching news. Brent Venables leaving Clemson as their defensive coordinator. He is now the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners. My goodness, the coaching carousel this year has been nuts. It has just been wild. Uh, We will talk about that move and what it means for both Clemson and Oklahoma next. Welcome back to the show. Again, thanks so much for tuning in to After Further Review. I'm Jay Smith, and now we got to talk some uh, some coaching news. Brent Venables, former Clemson defensive coordinator, now the new head coach at Oklahoma. Now, for those who don't know, Brent Venables actually has a lot of history at Oklahoma. Uh, He was there from 1999 to 2011, uh, he was a co-defensive coordinator from 99 to 2003, and then the full defensive coordinator from 04 to 2011. Obviously, has been at Clemson since as their defensive coordinator, and won the uh, Broyles Award in 2016 as the top assistant in college football. And listen, 
Brent Venables has turned down numerous head coaching offers. I mean, this guy, he, he has been sought after for years, for years, and he's turned them all down. And a lot of Clemson people said, oh, Brent, you know, he doesn't want to leave. You know, he's going to stay at Clemson forever. That's obviously not rational. But it was it was sort of interesting. It was sort of interesting because a lot of guys, you know, when they get that first head coaching offer, boom, they're gone. Right? They are out. And Brent Venables, he, he was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, and several, uh, you know, several people were like, wow. I mean, Brent Venables, he basically turned down these head coaching opportunities to to stay at the coordinator level, and then Clemson just kept winning, and they just kept winning, and they kept winning championships, right? ACC championships, national championships, and people were like, wow, what's it going to take for this guy to leave? You know, who, who's going to come knocking on the door one day? Uh, now, Brent Venables probably had a list of schools that – you know, if they came to him and said, hey, we, we want you to be our next head coach, he would accept on the spot. Oklahoma's probably one of maybe five of the, on that list, if I'm being honest. There's, there's probably weren't many because several schools offered, several good schools, and he said no to all of them. And Oklahoma was probably one of the few on his list where he felt like, all right, if, if the Sooners want me, I will go. Uh, because, again, he has so much history there. That's where he's from. It's where his wife is from. Uh, you know, it's it's sort of a homecoming for him and his family, and certainly a big deal for Oklahoma. I mean, this this is an Oklahoma team that was sort of reeling, right? Their their program and their fans were were sort of not sure what was going to happen after Lincoln Riley leaves abruptly for USC. Uh, so all of a sudden, things were in doubt for the Sooners. You had a couple high level com, uh, commits. Right, they decommitted to follow Lincoln Riley out to LA instead of going to Norman. So there was a lot of uncertainty around the program for a few a few days. And again, Brent Venables, right, spent 13 seasons in Norman on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma. He spent 10 in Clemson. So this and and this guy, you know, listen, it's not just my opinion. It's most people out there who watch college football who pay attention to coordinators and, and, and coaching. Brent Venables is not only the best defensive coordinator in the country, Brent Venables is, now formerly, the best coordinator in the country. Okay, this is this is a guy that has been, I think, waiting for that opportunity for, for the head coaching spot for a long, long time. Again, probably waited on Oklahoma specifically because he had past experience there. And when he got the opportunity, and it, it probably came out of nowhere, right? I'm sure he wasn't aware that Lincoln Riley was going to leave, and all of a sudden things sort of came together for him in those in the past few days. But, again, Brent Venables and everything he has done, I mean, you look at his his numbers at Clemson. I mean, they have, they have fielded defenses under his watch that are near the top nationally in almost – Every statistical category. I mean, he's also the highest paid assistant in college football. Was making two and a half million annually as an assistant, as a coordinator. And again, was offered numerous positions. He was offered the Auburn head coaching position earlier this year and turned it down. This is a guy that was very choosy in, in an era of coaching 
where it seems like guys will just, <clears throat> Brian Kelly, will just drop you know, the current program they're at and run to greener pastures, or Lincoln Riley, for that matter. I think Brent Venables, he handled it a different way. He handled it a different way. And, and I don't think that's my, my Clemson bias coming out. I really believe that. I think Brent Venables took a different approach to this head coaching you know, hunt than Lincoln Riley and Brian Kelly did. I mean, Lincoln Riley basically was sneaky and went behind everybody's back for a few months. I mean, you would talk about shady. That's the definition of it right there. And Brian Kelly basically said, screw y'all, I'm gone, I'm leaving. See ya. And and left. Whereas Brent Venables, you know, he gets there, he's talking about, you know, in Oklahoma and immediately starts talking about Dabo and what he was able to learn while he was under, you know, Dabo and what he built at Clemson and that sort of uh, program and culture and how he's going to transplant that to Norman and build it up. And so, again, I watched a lot of his opening introductory press conference, he echoed a lot of Dabo's sentiments. A lot of things that Dabo has been preaching for the past 10 years, same thing coming from BV, right? Brent Venables, same type of stuff. Now, Venables is looking to hire Old Miss offensive coordinator Jeff Levy uh, as the Sooners offensive coordinator. He spent, Levy spent four years as an assistant in Oklahoma uh, and obviously is under Lane Kiffin at Old Miss now, calls offensive plays for the Rebels. Uh, and, and again, Lane Kiffin has a hand in some of the offensive decisions, but Jeff Levy, at the end of the day, is responsible for the majority of the play calling. And again, Old Miss's offense, phenomenal this season, right? Matt Corral stopped turning the ball over eight times a game, and they ranked fourth nationally in total offense, over 500 yards per game for the Rebels' offense this season. So, really impressive numbers. We'll see if Venables can pick up Jeff Levy from Old Miss. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, again, is big news, and it, it sort of adds to the crazy, you know, college football uh, just coaching carousel that, that we have seen this season. I mean, there have been so many, uh, so many guys that have switched around and, and are at different places now. In fact, I saw I saw a statistic, and it was talking about you know, just the number of coaches that have moved around. And going into next season, this is this is crazy. Going into next season, as of right now, and again, we could see more changes, but as of right now, going into next season, 22% of Power 5 teams will have a new head coach next year. 22%. That's nuts. Nuts. I, it's got to be the highest it's ever been. It's got to be. That is absolutely insane. That 22% of Power 5 schools will have a new head coach going into next season. And that's only as of right now. right? That's that's only as, as of early December. We, we could easily see more changes as the months drag on. Now, you know, with signing day and everything, like there is a deadline in terms of when you you would get rid of a guy and try and bring in a new one. But still, still, you know, we, we possibly aren't done seeing some, some coaching carousel craziness. But, you know, 
congratulations to Brent Venables. Again, you know, Dabo released a statement. It was very complimentary of, of Brent, his family, everything he had accomplished while he was at Clemson. He you know, said he was excited for Brent and the opportunity he had at Oklahoma. And I wish Brent Venables nothing but the best. I think, you know, he, he definitely took a different route than maybe somebody like Jeff Scott, who's down struggling at South Florida, obviously a former Clemson offensive coordinator, and Chad Morris, right? Chad Morris went to SMU, was not successful at all. Jeff Scott at South Florida has not been successful at all. So I'm hopeful for Brent Venables. Uh, Oklahoma is a tough place to coach. Expectations are high. It's, it's one of the marquee programs in all of college football, one, certainly one of the most successful so he will have his work cut out for him, but I think there's very few people who can handle that sort of uh, those expectations, and Brent Venables is one of those people. So again, congrats to him, and we'll, we'll hopefully uh, be able to see all of his success going forward. Okay, we're going to have one last break, and when we come back, let's talk Army-Navy wrapping up the college football regular season, Week 15. You don't want to miss that discussion next. Welcome back to AFR. Last segment of this episode. We'll get you out of here pretty quick. We're going to talk some Army-Navy action. Uh, obviously, the only game in Week 15 of the college football season. Uh, it's the 122nd playing of Army-Navy. And listen, for me, this is as good as it gets. This is my favorite, uh, not just rivalry game, but this is my favorite college football game all season long. It is something special about watching the pageantry of two military schools, two military academies play one another. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we can't officially end the season until Army and Navy have squared off against one another. First matchup between these two academies back in 1890. And again, they've played one another 121 times, so this will be the 122nd meeting uh, Navy holds the advantage all time, 63-51-7 all time over the Black Knights of Army. And it's it's really been fun to watch the swings in this rivalry game, right? I mean, you know, the, the, the Knights uh, won last year 15-0, uh, and I shut out in favor of Army. They're on a four-game winning streak this season. They come in 8-3. and three. Uh you know, and and they have really played well against Navy. Uh, they've, they've won four of the last five games against the midshipmen. But before that, Navy dominated Army. They had 14 consecutive wins in the series between 2002 to 2015. So, you know, they're, and in that span, they won by an average of 25 points. So they dominated Army. For 14 years, golly, it kind of feels like Michigan, Ohio State a little bit. Uh, but again, in the last five, right, it's been all Army. Army's won four the last five, and the midshipmen are three and eight this season. Um, so, you know, obviously Navy's offense has been lackluster. Um, they do have a great run game, right? Both of these teams run the triple option. It's going to be your classic, you know, 1920s football if that's what you're into. Triple option. Uh, all over the field. Um, they have a top 10 run game, but they just can't score. And, and they're only scoring 20 and a half points per game. That's almost in the at the bottom 
of the 130 FBS teams. So the midshipmen certainly leave a lot to be desired on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Army, on the other hand, though, they do pass it a little bit more often. So I'm expecting more points from the Black Knights. And again, just like the Iron Bowl, just like the game between Michigan and Ohio State, just like any good rivalry, you you got to throw all that out. When it's Army-Navy and when it's you know practically snowing in, in East Rutherford where they're playing this game, it's anybody's ball game. It's anybody's ball game. And I think it will be an exciting matchup. I'm excited to to watch this game again. My favorite rivalry game, my favorite football game all year. All year. It trumps the Super Bowl. It trumps the national championship. Even with my team is playing, Army-Navy is my favorite football game to watch because it's it's pure amateurism. It's pure amateurism, right? There's 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 no egos. There are no egos on that field. There's just a bunch of guys who are, you know, at these military academies who love the guys next to them, who want to serve with the guys next to them, and who are committed to the guys next to them. That's what Army Navy is about. That's why this game is so special. Because, again, no egos on the field. No one's trying to be the four- or five-star guy that gets in the NFL, makes the draft. They're fighting for... You know, bragging rights, really. Bra- they're fighting for bragging rights. It's it's basically like a, a good old-fashioned game of backyard football. Only these two teams represent uh, the two you know service academies for the U.S. military. Obviously, Air Force is still out there, but you know, uh, Army Navy certainly gets more fanfare and recognition uh, than than any matchup between Army and Air Force or Navy and Air Force. So, I think it'll be. An exciting matchup. Again, uh, you know, it's been very lopsided these past few years. I'm expecting Army to win, but it could, you know, could go either way. And it, it should be a fantastic game. Uh, and again, a great way to to cap off the regular season. And that will get us into bowl season. And speaking of bowl season, you know what time of year it is. It's time for Capital One Bowl Mania, baby. We are rocking the Bowl Mania group again this year. Before we talk about the Bowl Mania group, let's talk about the College Pick'em group. Let's let's talk about where that finished up. Uh, we had a very close race, um, and it was a lot of fun. I got to be honest. I, I got messages from several people after this concluded on Sunday, and they said, "Look, I had never done this before, but this was one of the coolest things I've done college football related in a long time." It kept me invested week after week. It kept me interested week after week. And I appreciated those messages because, again, I do this to pick the games and, and to you know select who I think is going to win, but also to, to interact with people who also love college football. So the, the success of the AFR Pick'em League uh, was something that I really enjoyed this season. And, hey, I, I'm still undefeated. I'm just going to throw that out there. I've never been beaten in a pick'em league, I finished 92 and 46 uh, overall, uh, good enough to be in the top thousand nationally. Uh, but we had some people that were pretty close. Uh, Trevor was 89 for 49, so just three games shy. Uh, Jackson 84 and 56, uh, Alex 83 and 54, and then Trey went 80 and 60. That was our top five. From the Pickham. Uh, so, again, congrats to 
everyone who participated. We had uh, a, a great group, and you know, it was it was just tight. It was tight. Every single week, you would see people kind of shift up and down the leaderboard. Uh, some people had some great weeks, and some people had some rough weeks. I think uh, we had two people. We had Trevor and Taylor both get 90 points one week. That was in week 11, the most points in one week out of anybody in the group. So congrats to Taylor and Trevor for those near-perfect weeks. And, uh, yeah, again, still undefeated. So y'all are going to have to try again next year if you want to beat me. Uh, congrats to Trevor and Jackson, though, for making the podium silver and bronze, respectively. But let's talk now Bowl Mania, right? we got to talk about Bowl Mania. It's coming up. We will certainly have a group for Bowl Mania. And if you're not familiar with how Bowl Mania works, essentially all you got to do is pick the outcome of each bowl game. It's, it's as simple as that. Uh, you just make your selections. You don't have to put in a final score prediction. Uh, that just comes at the end for the national championship. And obviously, again, that game, you don't pick that game until later in the year when it's uh, when it opens up and is available, uh, but you can pick uh, any of the other bowl games as long as it's before the, the start time of the game. So, I mean, you could pick the first five or six games, come back a few games later and pick some more. Uh, some people like to do it all at once, whatever your preference is. I will definitely be posting details about Capital One Bowl Mania and how you can sign up, participate in the AFR group. And again, we'll, we'll have a little prize for whoever is able to win if, if someone beats me. I, I said at the beginning of the year for Pick'em, it was a $50 gift card for whoever could beat me. No one did, so I, uh, I guess we'll have to see uh, who can take home that gift card next year. But we'll do something for Bowl Mania, and we will have a show dedicated a little bit later on uh, probably next week. That's just going to be talking about bowl games. It's a whole. It should be a whole preview show just for bowl games, and we'll get into the nitty gritty of each of the matchups. Again, I'm super excited for bowl season. I uh, can't wait for that to kick off. First game kicks off on December seventeenth at noon. Middle Tennessee taking on Toledo. Uh, so it'll be an exciting Bahamas bowl. Good way to kick off the bowl season. But, uh, yeah, again, I'll have much more information about the Bowl Mania group uh, posted on AFR's Instagram and Twitter page. You can follow us there at After Review Show. That's all the time we've got for this edition of After Further Review. Again, appreciate you tuning in. Uh, we know who's in the college football playoff. It figures to be a super exciting postseason. Hard to believe we're wrapping up. Year six of AFR. This is season six, and we're going to have a lot of exciting announcements for season seven that will kick off after the conclusion of the national championship. We'll be bringing you a lot of exciting content on the show during the off season, so stick around for that. Until then, have a good one. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.